Welcome to Every Horror Movie on Netflix, the show where we watch and review and discuss every horror movie on Netflix. I am Chris, and I am back again with Patrick. Hello. And with Steven. Hi. And we've assembled this week to discuss the 2021 Netflix original film, There's Someone Inside Your House. But before we get into that, we like to start each episode with a little roundup where we talk about what else we have been watching, discussing, reviewing, listening, reading since we last met. So what do you got, guys? Patrick, you're, you're, you got a, you got a smile on your face. Have you been uh, consuming horror media outside of the show? Did you I, bring some to share? I well, I didn't bring any to share, but I certainly have been consuming some media. I was smiling because I was thinking about um, there, there's been a lot of horror in theaters lately. And I think I know Stephen has seen at least a thing or two in theaters. I think we have seen different things. I'm pretty sure you did not see Renfield. Did you, Stephen? Oh, fuck. no! <laughs> <laughs> I saw that last night and. Man, that was dull. It's such a fucking weird movie because I, there's a lot going on in it. It's very colorful. It's very fucking loud. But man, was it stupid. It's like it's like kind of uh, kind of trying to graft like a 21 Jump Street like police comedy onto sort of this bizarre romance between Aquafina and Nicholas Holt on top of, of course, the premise that you already are aware of, if you've heard of the movie, which is, you know, Renfield, Dracula's familiar in the modern day, trying to deal with Nicholas Cage's Dracula, uh, which Nick Cage is oddly not in it all that much. It was uh, just such a, it's so odd that it exists in the first place. And then it's just so strange what it does with that premise and, and, and sort of how it, squanders it that was just an odd odd experience that i'm almost still sort of unpacking in some ways i heard the same critique or in a review or two that i read um and it kind of goes back to one of my i think i've had complaints early on this show about movies that like have a good premise but just don't stick to it like who the fuck wants to go see this renfield movie especially based on these trailers and see get mired in this like police procedural Mm -hmm. family drama relationship stuff Crazy. Mm-hmm. Well, and especially like, I don't know, even from the trailers in the first place, I was not super fired up about it because I'm I'm a Nicolas Cage fan, but Nicolas Cage has increasingly just been leveraged for like the meme potential of it's Nicolas Cage. You want to go see it, don't you dipshit? And the whole trailer was like builds up to, oh, look, it's Nick Cage's Dracula, but you want to see that, don't you asshole? You know, kind of thing. And They're treating him like Ant-Man? kind of which is upsetting because again love nick cage and frankly would love to see nick cage play dracula even in a comedy but it's just i don't know it's so sort of cynical in the way that it goes about leveraging that sort of stunt casting and it just i don't know it was very off-putting to me something i actually how is that yeah sorry how is cage's performance because you know he's in a million fucking movies these days and i guess always has been but like every you know every like fifth roll of the die you get a committed Nick Cage that actually like cares about the movie he's in. 
And you never know when, you know, except for like Pig, I think from the trailer, people could, you could tell it was a serious performance. Otherwise, you never really know until you see the thing. I mean, I, I want to say he's on cruise control, which I mean, he's still in as interesting as any other actor, even when he's on cruise control, I think. Um, but, you know, it's not necess- it's not like full crazy go for broke Nick Cage, but, you know, it's also not, you know, he's not putting a lot of like effort or thought into this it's not a pig level performance let's put it that way okay which side note if you haven't seen pig go see fucking pig man that movie rocks i haven't seen pig i still need to see it too my mom tells me to see it every time i talk to her it's very it's very very good like the premise makes it sound like it's just another nick cage meme movie there's nothing meme about it at all it's it's nick cage giving a very serious very grounded and really heartbreaking performance there's no like bug eye kind of moments in it it's just really good shit uh, I do want to give a shout out to uh, two things quickly that I actually did enjoy in the horror world this week. You all know I'm a sucker for some Junji Ito, and I picked up a new Ito collection called Tombs that I enjoyed quite a bit. Uh, the lead story mm. about it, uh, the, the lead story in it is about a town where <laughs> when people die, they transform into their own tombs. So the town is filled with corpses that have basically transformed into uh, like like headstones and. Uh, there's some shenanigans that go down from there, but lots of typical disturbing Ito visions in this one. Um, and also, do they mm. do you do you turn into a tomb at the site of your death, like yes. when you die? Yes, oh, okay. at the site, and the I'm into it. The entire practice in the town is when someone dies, they cannot be moved. The corpse cannot be moved. They have to turn into a tomb exactly where they were. So there's scenes where you know. Uh, nurses are rushing patients out of a hospital as they die so that they don't have to have the tomb in the hospital. <laughs> oh, I love it. Yeah. That sounds so warped. Good shit. Good shit. And I also uh, picked up the first volume of Chainsaw Man, which may or may not have been uh, recommended to me by listener and, and Discord, Amon Discord member Erica. Couldn't We couldn't really remember if she was who I had heard about uh, this series from, uh, but she did say she would recommend it. So... There's there's that for you, but it's about a demon hunter uh, in Japan who merges with the spirit of his little demon dog who helps him fight demons and becomes a creature with a uh, ripcord for a chainsaw sticking out of his chest and he can rev himself up and turn into a chainsaw wielding maniac with chainsaws popping out of his arms and head to fight demons. But he's just a working class Joe trying to pay off his debts. Um, there's some good anti-capitalist sentiment from time to time in it, and uh, more importantly, just crazy action. So I've been enjoying Chainsaw Man very much. Man, what do they think of next? <laughs> <laughs> Steven, what have you what have you thought of lately? What have you seen at the at the cinema lately? Well, um, I'm gonna kind of bury the lead here on that. Uh, about a week ago, oh, I have a correction to make. On the last episode, I referred to Critters Two as Critters Two: The New Batch. That is, of course, oh. the subtitle for Gremlins Two. Uh, of which Critters is a ripoff of, but got to a sequel first, but it is actually Critters to the main course. Um, you can stop now, emailing us now. Yes, I know <laughs> everyone was so upset. Uh, I, I will have to be publicly flogged for that one. Uh, I watched a movie I've wanted to see for a while that I feel like has been hard to find, which is The Fly 2 from, I believe, 1988. 
And it's not a good movie. It has a story by credit for Mick Garris. So you you kind of know it's going to be sort of a piece of shit going into it. All the opening <laughs> credits are rolling. He doesn't have the greatest track record. And for me, that includes Hocus Pocus. Uh, but it was it was pretty it was pretty damn fun. It's one of those movies that I'm like, who is this made for? Because the first third of it follows a kid who is uh, the son of Seth Brundle, Jeff Goldblum from the original movie, who has a disorder. Uh, passed down to him by his father where he ages rapidly and he's also a tech whiz um there's some really fun 80s goopy effects in it i didn't look up who did them but they did some good work the thing that stood out to me the most about it though is this really deranged subplot involving a dog that is experimented upon in the brundle teleporter machine um that actually kind of like t- like pulled my heartstrings <laughs> a bit more than I was expecting. And uh, uh, I'll say dogs are a theme in this movie. And if you don't like to see fucked up things happen to animals, you might want to avoid it. But it's a good 80s cheese. And the other thing, I didn't get to see Evil Dead Rise yet, but I'll report on that for the next episode. But I saw Ari Aster's new joint, Bo is Afraid. And I don't even know how to talk about it, especially without spoiling anything, which I already seem to have for Patrick's <laughs> taste. Um, the first hour is really, really funny. It's like it's the absolute pitch darkest comedy you can possibly imagine. And I'm a I'm a fan of such things if they're not trying to be edge lordy. And this is a little bit, but Joaquin Phoenix is so committed to. Um, and just being in a constant state of panic at the comically absurd things that are happening to him, even just trying to go across the street to get a bottle of water turns into like a, a Jacques, like if Jacques Tati directed a nightmare sequence. Um, but okay. after that, it quickly, quickly falls apart and turns into this kind of meandering, um, self-indulgent and frankly, fairly obvious uh, grappling with mommy issues. It, it might as well be called Mommy Issues the movie. And that's not to say that it isn't very well directed, that um, interesting things continue to happen throughout its three-hour runtime, and the performances are great, but it starts to become grating and repetitive, nonsensical. It's one of those movies where it's fully committed to dream logic. And for me, once like people die and then they just randomly show up again later in the movie for no reason, you've completely lost me. Nothing is at stake anymore. And, um, this continues to feel that way until it's really kind of anticlimactic and cliched ending. So I cannot recommend Bo is afraid except to say when it's streaming, definitely watch at least the first chapter of it. If you're into Ari Aster, um, and you're into dark comedy, I, I think it will it will make you laugh in ways that are surprising. But otherwise, it's a I think it's a complete failure of a film. I'm so excited to finally see that. It's been so polarizing, and I've just heard reactions all over the map, including definitely some comments from folks on the mommy issues you referenced. So I'm I'm very excited to finally see it and assess for myself. I kind of just wish Joaquin Phoenix would stop playing this one type of guy. I think he just you know is I mean? that it's type weird. of guy, though. I think that's him. Uh, is he? Yeah. I thought he I mean, used to have that, like, weirdly, weird, like, slovenly. I mean, he definitely did, but I think he's kind of fallen into just playing himself, which he's good at. He's very, I mean, I still think he's a tremendous actor. Fuck Joker, but he's a tremendous actor. 
Um, I just think that's if that's just how him. he is, then I lose respect for him because I, <laughs> I will see these performances and I'm like, oh, what a performance playing this like lazy piece of shit. And then I'm like, if that's just him, then he's just a lazy piece of shit. Well, in this, he's <laughs> he's a lazy piece of shit, but it's actually a really manic performance, which is fun at times, but again becomes repetitive and grating. This is a movie that does something, especially with his performance, that I can't stand, which is like his character is so is such a loser and is like so dumb. And also he's like fucked up on this new anti-anxiety medication that his doctor gives him that like there are long stretches in this movie where like people are doing horrible things to him, saying horrible things to him, and he's too befuddled to respond. So he's just kind of hanging slack jawed and you're like, you want to like slap him awake that happens over and over again in this. And I found that to be really, really irritating. It's it's, and I feel like I've seen Joaquin do a performance exactly like this before he does it well. Um, but it's not a pleasant character to spend any amount of time with. Now that said, after I've shit on Bo is afraid, I do want to <laughs> recommend an Ari Aster thing, uh, before we turn it over to Chris, which is, um, his short film, the strange thing about the Johnsons. Have either of you guys seen this? Mm hmm. I love it. I revisited it after Bo is Afraid. This is something he made when he was at the American Film Institute. It's about a half hour. You can find it on YouTube. And uh, I needed to see it to remind me of just the the warped power that Ari Aster can hold over an audience uh, when he's firing on all cylinders. It's one of the most uncomfortable watches I've ever seen in my life, but it's also absolutely hilarious. Hmm. Um, hmm. So that's the strange thing about the Johnsons on youtube or vimeo or wherever you want to find it chris what you been up to buddy really not much horror related the only thing i can mention and it's a little bit of a stretch is uh as you know sometimes i i i follow um auctions for movie memorabilia um and mm -hmm. i saw an interesting item come up in an auction at julian's in this past week bella lugosi's screen actors guild card <laughs> <laughs> and it's it's from 1948 it's got his signature on it and i was like that's a that's a cute little piece of not just a piece of horror memorabilia but you know labor memorabilia which is another topic i'm somewhat enthusiastic about <laughs> and the estimate on this thing uh -huh. was two to three hundred dollars and i was like i would pay two to three hundred dollars to have bella lugosi's signed union card on my wall that's hilarious i didn't bid on it but it sold for $4,550. Oh, um, and damn. I, here, I, here I thought you had it. I'm like, I'm like, did you try to claim survivor's benefits? No. <laughs> <laughs> Papa Lugosi's union card. <laughs> uh, and that probably doesn't include the 30% uh, in fees. So it probably sold for like five or, or $6,000. But mm. uh, someone out there has a $6,000 Screen Actors Guild card signed by Bella Lugosi on their wall now. And I hope they appreciate it. Bella Lugosi's, what did you say? Screen Actors Guild Union card. It sounds like the title of a Sparks album or Sparks song. He says, totally does. I never cross lines. <laughs> it's funny thank you steven <laughs> I'm that's not, all I got. i'm not giving you anything for that one <laughs> steven is the only laugh you get for that not even a grin man cold let's get down to the matter at hand we watched there's someone inside your house which i i gotta say it like that because it has such an urgent title 
Uh, and like we said, it's a, it's a 2021 Netflix original film based on a novel by a woman named Stephanie Perkins, who wrote the book in 2017. I hadn't heard of her before, but it sounds like she's a young author, sorry, young uh, adult novelist who primarily does uh, like teen romance stories. Uh, and then it was adapted into a film by our friends, uh, producer James Wan mm-hmm. and director Patrick Bryce, who is a Amon alum having directed Creep, which we all didn't like very much. Well, most of us didn't like it very much. And Creep 2, which we universally loved. So, uh-huh. <laughs> uh, mixed record coming into this for Patrick Bryce. But he was certainly a director when we watched Creep 2. That's like, we want to know what he does next. And uh, I don't know what else he's done. He made a movie called Corporate Animals in 2019 after Creep 2. Never heard of it. Not a horror movie. Hmm. But... uh now here we are. He's arrived. He is a Netflix journeyman director, <laughs> apparently. Um, the plot follows a group of teens. Um, the main character is a young woman named Makani. They're all high school seniors, I believe. And uh, she and her friends are worried because the football star has just been murdered in the pre-credit sequence of the film. Uh, this is in Nebraska opening sequence. He comes home. There's just things have been moved around in his house. He doesn't know what's going on. He takes a nap before the big game. He wakes up. His phone is gone. He overslept. He's freaking out. Uh, It's clear that there's a killer in the house and the killer is taunting him with evidence of a brutal hazing ritual that he participated in as a member of the football team. And then he is confronted by the killer who's wearing a mask of his own face, meaning a mask of his victim's face, the football player's face. And he's brutally killed. Well, it's then, it's 3D printed. It's not like Hannibal Lecter. It's not like he's wearing the football player's face. I just feel like right. that's a meaningful clarification. And this is the killer's MO throughout the film. Every time they kill somebody, they wear a creepy-ass plastic mask that looks like their victim's face. Right. And then yeah, and we see on the title's credits how the mask is constructed. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. That's sort of the background for that. And then... Also, even worse than the de- murder, the evidence of the crime is then sent to like ev- everyone in his phone, everyone at the school, everyone at the football game sees all the photos of how he, you know, beat the shit out of this kid in some weird hazing ceremony. And so not only is he dead, but his reputation is ruined. And basically this killer is going out through the school, stalking kids who have dirty secrets, killing them. And exposing their secrets. And it's up to Makani and her other friends, who some of them, including Makani, have dark secrets in their past, to figure out what's going on. Or at least try to survive uh, till the end of the year. Particularly Makani, it's intimated, may have the darkest secret of all. We see flashbacks that she's having, uh, sort of almost like PTSD moments throughout the film of, of something horrifying that happened to her in her past and we learned that she's come to this school changed her name and is very much trying to hide something that happened that we don't find out what it is until quite late in the film and i think may have is sort of the uh, the operative 
part of that sentence because uh, we'll, we'll 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 get into whether or not the buildup is worth the wait with mm-hmm. that information. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, we will. That opening scene, I have to say, I you know I may be misremembering. I watched this a few nights ago. I think that's the only scene where they're. Well, I'd be spoiling the movie if I phrased it this way. It's one of only two scenes where there's someone inside a house. That <laughs> yeah, shouldn't be there. <laughs> I was I was thinking about that too. Because I mean, this movie has a fairly interesting premise. There's a lot of kind of novel elements to it. You know, whether you've got the killer wearing these masks, uh, emulating the victims' faces, or you know, digging up and, and exposing secrets at you know, essentially at the moment of the victim's death. Uh, there's a number of kind of interesting, uh, I I guess, sort of social threads, social commentary, uh, woke politics. I think some folks might, uh, that are on a different side of the political spectrum from us would refer to it as, I don't know. There's just a lot of interesting elements to this movie that seem like it could really merit a less generic title than there's someone inside your house, especially for, as you said, movie that really doesn't involve all that much like, someone inside your house kind of material and nobody says it i was hoping someone would (laughs) say the line yeah 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 well it's going for i i got a lot of scream from this movie like scream for teens yes so i think that's how they're trying to sell it you know with that that opening scene in scream like kind of it's almost like a uh like a sideways callback to that i feel like Mm. is the book is also called that right Yes. That's correct. Yeah. Huh. Um, yeah, I really got Scream too. In fact, there was a point in this movie where I was like, oh, is this just like beat for beat Scream? Because it feels like that. And it feels like that's what they're going for with the masks. You know, our, our, our killer is yeah. wearing a hood and he's got a novel type of mask that's sort of human, but kind of not. Um, and the other thing, this also reminded me a bit of the Fear Street trilogy, yes. which came out immediately before this movie. So they probably weren't influences on each other, but it's kind of weird that they would, all that would come out and then this would come out so soon after and, and have sort of a similar vibe. And I'm, I mean, not to tip my hand, or maybe I guess I don't give a fuck. I'll tip my hand. <laughs> uh, that's a, that's, those are three, three movies that were made for the same streaming platform that, did this so much better but yeah this like the 80s and 90s kind of started to come back especially as far as like ya books and movies go like right around that time i feel like 2020 2021 wait what 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 about it remind you guys of scream i mean other than i guess sort of snarky there's some snarky dialogue and i mean sure a masked you know slasher but that's been in a million movies i mean there's not I, when I think Scream, I think of that snarky, you know, meta horror commentary, which is not really in this for me. It's it feel uh, it's hard to put my finger on it. Maybe Chris can articulate it better, but I felt like it was Scream, very Scream like. Except all of like the horror, the meta horror movie references were like cancel culture jokes. Yeah, it, it feels very aware of itself in a way where it seems like it's trying to be very contemporary and it's got the whole, like, there's a slasher in town, uh, he's killing people in our school, he might be killing our friends, and 
it's got that like vein of the main character with the dark past that's maybe connected to the killing sort of thing. Mm. Um, and then it's got the big house party, which I thought maybe we're getting to the end of the movie. That's more at the midpoint, but mm, um, the secret party. Yeah. There's the big, a lot to unpack there. <laughs> <laughs> the big house party. I thought that was a uh, scream S2. It's, I mean, it's not, it's not totally scream, but I just, the vibe was there. I mean, it, I thought of it. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, house parties to me are such a trope of just like slashers and even teen movies in general. But yeah. I think where it came from for me is just that it is, it doesn't go full screen, but it does feel like a very self-aware teen slasher, sure. which is what what Scream is is known for. Um, it is it is very funny. I was very drawn in by this early on, and actually, I I enjoyed most of this up until the end, where I I just think it really kind of falls apart in the you know, basically at the twist and, and kind of some of the like revelations that show up in the last 20 minutes. But for most of this, I was super on board. I enjoyed this cast of characters. They all seem like fairly distinct personalities. Um, and, and, and I found it funny, you know, I mean, <laughs> you have the scene early on where there's kind of like the performative girl who gets up in the middle of uh, lunch and stands on a table and takes a moment to quote princess die in uh, recognizing the bravery of the one non-binary character among our group of our key group of friends, which I I found quite funny. There's even just like background dialogue, like kind of stuff that's very low in the mix that I yeah. thought there was a surprising amount of thought put into, and and just little little huh. audio audio jokes in the dialogue that you might not even notice unless you're actually paying attention um i I enjoyed the sense of humor and i enjoyed our our central cast of characters and you know what props to them for throwing a non-binary character in here and not necessarily making a huge deal out of it and like handling it in a pretty like normal and non-cringy way oh and and they are the most likable character in the movie for me but man the humor in this could not have landed worse with me i i instead of laughing i groaned at every single joke because it just felt shoehorned in to say, look at how contemporary we are. Look at how topical this is. I thought it was uh, almost, almost offensive in like, like uh, almost like shooting itself in the foot in so many ways. Like, okay. It's like, it's like admirable to be talking about some of this stuff in a movie, but it felt like disingenuous to me. I don't know. It felt like it was going for Heather's and Jennifer's body and got lost halfway there. For me, it continues a trend of these these modern movies where I don't know if they're inspired by Get Out or what's motivating this, but these movies that just feel like they have to have something to say about the moment, they have to have the issues, they have to have the identity politics, and they don't have anything to say, and they don't have anywhere to go with it. And I'm glad you brought up the non-binary character, Darby, because I did some research, and this, I think, kind of is the key to the politics of the whole movie. Um, I I was looking up the book because I was curious about some things, and I found out that there was a, a minor amount of controversy around the book because the author... Uh, in, the, in the book, Darby is a trans man, not non, non-binary. Mm. And in the book, uh, the author dead names him like sort of gratuitously upon introduction and then like later on or something like that and that was controversial enough that she took to twitter and and apologized and said oh i'm still learning uh i'm gonna put out a new edition of the book which she didn't um how do you 
I'm sorry. I'm having trouble wrapping my brain around. Yeah, me too. How do you dead name a character in the book that you're writing? Like, right. does she does she write like like David? I'm sorry, Erica. Well, the, <laughs> like, so the the passage is um, Darby says something, and then it says Darby had been assigned female at birth, and though his legal name was still Justine Darby, he'd socially oh. transitioned during his freshman year. So kind of just like putting putting your finger in it a little bit, and mm. I thought it was weird that she kind of apologized for that, but then the movie uh, kind of doubled down by having this this popular character that that Patrick mentioned kind of stand on a lunch table and be like, oh, by the way, this this person who used to be Justine, he, her, them, whatever you are, it's like God bless you, we love you, you know. Um, Seems like it's kind of doing the same thing. I don't know. I don't. I don't feel like it is. I feel like I, I, so. Like that is that is like kind of funny um, because we're not supposed to like that character. She's horrible. She's very facetious. She has a right wing conspiracy podcast or something. Like we're supposed to cringe at that and like realize that like that is not an okay perspective to have, and it's not okay to co opt someone else's. Um, like gender or sexual orientation for their own glorification. Like I thought that that seemed to me knowing what I now know about the book, like the writer kind of, uh, uh, taking, taking the author of the book to task a little bit, maybe Hmm, possibly, I don't know, but it all started to, this is one of them. One that scene, like I appreciate it felt out of touch to me. I don't know. Yeah. I was like, who's writing this and what's the joke supposed to be. And I wasn't sure. And I didn't like that. I wasn't sure. Well, there's a lot of moralizing in this movie about these sorts of things. And like, it may have worked better for me if it had a thesis. So it, I don't think it does. Wait, yeah. were you were you confused by that joke because you were aware of the controversy? Because to me, the joke was super clear, not knowing about the mm-hmm. book controversy. No, I thought the way it was delivered, like, I don't, I don't know. I, I would, I would have to watch it again forensically to tell you what gave me that perception. But yeah, I, I totally understand how you could see that and be like, oh, we're making. It is making fun of this character, but at some point, the joke is just that she's saying these transphobic things, and I don't know if that is good enough for me. Uh, there's plenty of movies where the joke is a character saying racist things, and it's the the joke is oh isn't this character saying something fucked up but it's still not really cool in the text of the oh i didn't take it as the joke being her being transphobic i thought the joke was that she was trying to you know essentially garner social clout by you know sh- showing how tolerant she was and how uh, proud and you know quote unquote brave she thought it was for darby to to be who they are and along the way bungling you know saying that their pronouns were they she he what you know it didn't seem like there didn't seem to be the joke seemed to be yeah again performative uh, attempt to gain social standing through this display it, it it felt to me like a performative attempt to for the movie to gain social standing i guess was my issue well i mean um, yeah so I, if, I i agree with that <laughs> yeah if we can zoom out i think you know there it is jam is chock full <laughs> of just kind of throwing different social concepts at the wall and it go you know again like for long enough in this thing i was like okay is this it's, it felt like it might come together in some meaningful way, which it doesn't. Um, but And this feels like weird. Okay, so this is a YA. You know, this is a movie made for teenagers, correct? Yeah. I think yes. we can all agree on that. 
it felt out of touch even to me. And I don't even really know any people this age. <laughs> like, I, I want to hear how somebody who's like a senior in high school would respond to this movie. And I'm sure they would, they would, they would, to use the parlance of our time, just like cringe their way through it. Like, oh my God, well, I can't believe this old white guy thinks this is how we talk and that all mm. of our conversations are about identity politics. It's like literally all anyone talks about in this movie. <laughs> yeah, and I, I I don't know about that, but I did go on Goodreads too <laughs> and like try to see what the people who read YA books had to say about it. And it doesn't really have good reviews on that too. Um, and that's actually where I think I found out about the dead naming controversy and stuff. Like, mm. It seems like they're not very impressed. The consensus on Goodreads was that it was an unsuccessful pivot from a romance novelist into a horror thing and i guess the book kind of even has more romance than the movie does and i read that too seem like an afterthought um but one one more note on darby i actually i found a a whole think piece or a a review um online about darby by someone who i am i am following now on several platforms a young guy named logan kisner he considers himself something of a, of a horror historian uh specializing in in gay and trans representations in in horror films according to him there has not been a trans man character in a feature length american horror film since 1972 I mean, that tracks. I was thinking about that with this character, even like I, I was just trying to think of when I've seen a, a non-binary character in a movie. I mean, I've, I've seen some, just not a lot, you know, and especially, you know, with again, you would think more filmmakers would even just be trying to chase the clout that like the character standing sure. on the table in this movie is or that the, you know, perhaps the filmmakers of this were. Um, and I, I'm just surprised we're not seeing that more, frankly. Sure, whether it's but, um, whether it's done well or not, but the, the, I mean, this author was upset that there hasn't been a, a trans man in, in horror film since 1972, and there's finally one in literature that gets adapted to screen and softened down to a non-binary character. Um, in his opinion, I thought that was interesting, but I don't know. This for me, this is all to say that we've got people dabbling with these issues, like we said, and they're not really in touch with the people who are in the center of these issues. Yeah. And it's it it's like euphoria. It rings it rings false. I haven't seen euphoria, but I believe it. Um it just it rang false to me, and you know I'm always trying to pull a political theme out of movies even when there yeah. isn't one. And this one just hits you so fast and frequently with the political stuff, you know, from from the the representational stuff to the you know, there's a girl who recorded a, a Nazi podcast. We find out about we there's and a there's bunch Nazi of stuff paraphernalia about, later <laughs> about like someone who's like a agriculture guy buying up real estate and and driving people out of business and white stuff privilege. about defunding the police, defunding the police, Nazi memorabilia. <laughs> so I, all kinds of stuff. And it's, there's just nothing there. And it, I really resent it. And I, people I think really deserve better and filmmakers and, and writers need to understand it's okay to just write a genre piece and not put a political theme into it. And if you do that more likely than not, it's going to have a political theme anyway, because you're a human being engaging sincerely with the human experience, which is political. And if it's not, and if nothing, if nothing else, if it came out after September 11th, 2001, Chris will 
pull a 9-11 theme out of it, even if you didn't try to put it there. Yeah. You know? I, I just want to say, so let's just talk about the movie, guys. I think this is a trap. I think we've had a furtive conversation that needs to be had about this kind of movie making. But at the end of the day, yeah, this movie does not have a thesis. It is just, it, it, it is trying to, to capitalize on, you know, conversations that are, that are, that are popular right now without, without any kind of sincerity, um, seemingly without any kind of like, you know, real, real life, like experiencing connection with the sort of issues that it's, that it's talking about. It's bullshit. It it reminds me again of Netflix's contempt for its audience. I disagree. I disagree that it's insincere. I think it, I think it fails. I don't think it comes together. And again, we'll talk about that in the spoiler room because the way it fails in the end is, is spectacular, but I do think it is sincere. I do think it's genuine. I don't think there's contempt there. I enjoyed this for most of the runtime. Sincere time. about I just, what? I just want to register objection. Sincere, That's the th- thing. Sincere in the way it presents these characters. I think it's. I think it's sincere. I think it. Ha- All right. The, the characterization, I think, is sincere. I did. Yeah. I did think the characters, for the most part, were well done. Yeah. Um. But the characters but are just the tip of the iceberg on the the whole the whole political pyramid that this movie tries to present. And to be sincere about something, you have to have some sort of intent. And I don't think this movie does. It's co- it's content with including a non-binary character, but drawing attention to itself for doing so with no other motive whatsoever. And like that's where it just rubs me the wrong way. Why does there have to be a motive bullshit. to include a non-binary character? Why is there? No, 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 no. It's it's the the conversation that the movie has around the non-binary character that goes nowhere just to draw attention to the fact that hey, we've done it. Give us some points. I don't, like I thought that character was great, but like the jokes and stuff were just like, why? Why can't we just let this character be in this movie and be who they are? There was only one joke uh, around again the moment we talked about with this character standing up on the table, and it's only there to set up the facetious nature of that character, who we very shortly after discover is actually secretly a hateful right winger who has this like n- you know borderline Nazi podcast. Like I don't, there, sure. there weren't jokes about that. We didn't need, that. we didn't, we, I don't think we, I mean, we could argue about this and, and I respect your point of view and I don't think you're, I don't think you're wrong. I'm inclined to agree with you, but also it's like the joke really didn't need to be there. Like it, it didn't, it just like muddies the waters for the, the only purpose that I can see for doing so is for the filmmakers to pat themselves on the back. I thought it, I thought it was very funny, and I thought it was even funnier once we find out that she's, you know, doing white nationalist shit on YouTube or whatever. Okay, so the cumulative effect worked for you. For me, I could have just done with the podcast thing, which I also thought was really, uh, really stupid. But <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, there's other ways to kind of show that that character is out of touch. I mean, someone at the school just died, right? Like there's other ways to show that she's kind of, uh, uh, I don't know. I don't know. There's other ways to, to show that part of her character. Also the racist podcast might've been a bit too far too. <laughs> like, I, like, <laughs> like it's one thing to be like, Oh look, this character has a racist podcast. It's another thing to be like, here, let's listen to 10 minutes of it. <laughs> like that's, yeah, that's where I'm coming from. Like, okay. Like, I'm not offended, but <laughs> I I wasn't either, but like I almost was. I kept like drawing parallels to Heather's in my mind because Heather's does have some like genuinely offensive stuff in it, and yet I still find it hilarious. Part of that is like it's it came out deep in the past. I can like give it give it a little bit of slack, um, but there was like a unified nature to the mean spirited comedy of it that like 
pretty much everybody is kind of terrible in some way in that movie. So it, it works. And in this movie, I don't know. I don't know. It just, again, it goes to sincerity. And it's like, if you're, if you are just bringing this stuff into your story or your movie for clout, tread lightly, like, <laughs> you know, understand what you're doing before you just start reaching for the slur bag or the, or the hate speech bag. Slur? Oh, he's slur bag? I don't know. I, I guess I, I feel like you, slur bag. There's no slurs, but okay. I mean. <laughs> so I mean, like you guys, are, you guys are grafting so much more onto this than is actually there. It's, it's you're making worse it sound slurs. You're making, though, it, on you're the... making it sound nastier than it is. I don't know. Whatever. I mean, you can right. have well, you can you can have an opinion about how it about the effect it had on you, but you're kind of you're you're making some broad kind of smears about stuff it does that it actually doesn't do. Sure. To be clear, there's no slurs, but there is like white nationalist talking points which are real world white nationalist talking points right and they're presented briefly and then you hear them in the background as she's being fucking stabbed to death it's pretty it's pretty clear how you're supposed to feel about this character like it's 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 comic it's comical what she's saying all in all it's it's it is harmless but i will say i found the humor to be grating because i think it didn't lend anything to the film as a whole, I don't think it lended anything to like character development or plot development. It just felt like, okay, Jordan Peele's made two movies that are great, so we got to be like that. It's kind of like I, I mean, it's, it's similar in some ways to like Uma of like, oh, now if you make a horror movie, you have to make it about something else. You have to make it about some oh. kind of broader, broader uh, social issue that people can relate to. And like the answer is like. No, you do not have to. If you are moved to genuinely, then do it, and it'll pro- hopefully turn out well. But th- this just feels like it's trying to keep up with the Joneses. Uma, it's not uh, even just- Uma is, a, is an apt comparison because it's another movie where the, the, on the exact same split, we beat the shit out of each other about the movie's sincerity or lack thereof. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, it's the it's not just horror either like i i watched jurassic world dominion and like it's bringing oh. in like all these big ideas about agribusiness and all this like crazy shit i'm like what the fuck are you trying to say here <laughs> like it's just every movie now wants to be like in the moment are you are, yeah it's like Chris, are, you, see- are you trying to say keep your politics off the podcast gentlemen yeah yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's like i i'm here to see fucking dinosaurs not chinatown <laughs> oh, i don't know okay. i don't know but listen all right so this poll pol- i mean jurassic okay not all right i don't actually want to go down the rabbit hole but i mean <laughs> jurassic park has had an anti-corporate streak from from jump Sure, but like it doesn't beat you over the different. head with it's it. Different. It's different. It's in the degrees of like nuance and and like ripped from the headlinesness. I think they're different. I don't know. Though. I was I was uh, I was on edible when I watched Jurassic World Dominion, um, and I, I liked it a lot. I liked it a lot. <laughs> well, should we talk but, uh, about the secrets party or something that's not the politics of well, the film? Yeah, so it, so that we can get back into the politics of the film in the spoiler room because we're oh, definitely yeah, going yeah. there. This is I love how he said away. we're falling into a trap and like I'm just I'm, I'm helping to keep us down here. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh god. <laughs> anyway, th- yeah. So so listen, this the political stuff is just kind of one. Th- I guess one of the other frustrating things is that that's like one aspect of the movie, and it's pretty far removed from the premise of the movie, which, like we've said, is pretty strong. Like there's someone in your house, and 
when the killer is like about well, that's to not strike, the premise of the movie though we already said that it's not but it's ostensibly like the hook like for what's interesting about this story uh the the before the killings happen there's this like specific cadence of things that happen and i thought all that was really strong like i know we all relate we all re- probably the three of us more than anyone listening relates to like putting something down and forgetting where you put it or something's moved or something's not right in your house <laughs> and you're like is this am I, is there am i losing my mind or is there someone in my house and this kind of plays Wait, are you that. saying the three of us have a greater level of cognitive decline than our peers yes yes <laughs> <laughs> not going to argue <laughs> nope nope no argument there uh, but it's a very relatable thing. Like something's amiss in your house and then you're going to die. Right. Um, nice. And I thought the opening sequence was great. I was prepared to love this movie uh, through the first few scenes. And anytime they kind of went back to that, I was like, Ooh, this is kind of spooky. ooky," And um, I enjoyed it a lot. So there is some effect of, you know, horror stuff in here but it is it is few and far between you're talking about any time they went back to like the kill scenes is that what you're talking about the kill scenes and specifically the ones where it's like there's someone in your house which happens yeah like twice (laughs) Mm. yeah i liked the kill scenes generally i mean they were yeah they were sufficiently swift and brutal like what i would expect from uh you know a splashy you know, decent budget slasher movie. They, they did a good job. That's not what I ever go to a movie to see, but if I'm forced to watch a slasher for the podcast, you know, I want to see knives going through skulls and, uh, and Achilles tendons and all that good stuff. And the whodunit aspect is kind of fun until it gets to a point where you realize that there's no one, there's no suspects left to eliminate. Yeah. That would be a satisfying. (laughs) I literally, this is not a spoiler, but I literally got to a point in the movie where I was like, okay, so we have a red herring, but he's not a very good red herring. Wait, when did that person die? Oh, like I thought I'd missed the scene where someone Hmm. died and then it turned out they were the killer. Uh, Hmm. Yeah, I was like, so yeah. And I mean, actually, this allows me to hit on something I wanted to hit on, which is Ollie. I fucking loved Ollie. This is a oh, character, wh- so he's the he's the estranged uh, like ex of Makani. He's oh, yeah. he's got kind of a weird vibe, you know. Repeatedly, at one point, referred to as having a school shooter vibe. He's always dressed in all black. He's he's Pete mm-hmm. Davidson vibe. He, Pete Davidson vibe, sure. Yeah, he's he's tall and, and he's pulling he's, like Pete Davidson in this movie. What? <laughs> He's pulling like Pete Davidson in this movie. Sure. He's tall. He's gaunt. He's always got a slight smile on his face. Weird sense of humor. Very cute. Uh, Oh, yeah. High school me would bang. And I really liked the performance, actually. This actor just walks a weird tightrope line with this character where you're pretty sure he is a red herring and he's going to turn out to be fine. Everybody thinks, you know, he's the psycho. He's the killer. Yeah, um, when they when they paint murderer across his locker like 30 minutes into the movie, it's probably not the murderer. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I'm just talking about the performance. Like the the yeah, tenor yeah, of the tenor of the performance is such that like, okay, well, maybe this guy could be a psycho. He seems sweet. Maybe could be a psycho. It's just it's a really nicely tuned performance. I enjoyed him a lot. But mm-hmm. yeah, late in the movie, it's like, okay, everyone's just, they're harping really hard on the Ollie thing. They're really trying to sell you on Ollie. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, it's probably not Ollie. Is it like the uh, 
the fucking like farm baron like racist dad who's trying to replace the police with his private security maybe but that seems pretty on the nose you know and Mm -hmm. i I reached the same point that you two were talking about where it's like okay there there's only so many suspects left and unless we just like introduce i even considered that it could be someone from makani's past which also would have meant virtually nothing um Mm -hmm. and it's like okay this is not this is not gonna pay off (laughs) i i did the same thing the only suspects remaining were all unsatisfying i actually thought i don't think this is a spoiler i was actually thinking and kind of hoping that the killer was makani our (laughs) hero the main character because oh because she's got she's we don't see enough of her to rule her out and she we know she has a dark past and i thought hey maybe she's crazy well and her grandma sleepwalks so it could be like a yellow jacket situation with uh is it taisa i don't patrick? watch that show i'm i'm looking at patrick she, are you spo- are you I, I'm, still, I'm only really three show? episodes in so i don't i probably don't know what you're talking yeah, about no spoilers actually. for yellow jackets buzz no off. spoilers buzz no off. spoilers <laughs> i'm i'm buzz off. But, but yeah i did have the same <laughs> thought like oh we got all this stuff about her grandma sleepwalking like maybe she's got like another side to her or something that we're being that's being held from us she's got a tether gonna get pulled out i i considered maybe it was one of the football player like the the one football player who kind of recurs a couple times making i think not the gay football player who becomes friends with our main bunch, but the other one. Yeah. Um, I considered him. And, and, and the funny thing is we haven't even talked about who it is. Like no. we, on this episode, we haven't no, talked about this character at all yet. We, we need to, but that's we will. really going to give it away. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, we got to talk about something else first. Yeah. Let the audience forget. Just direct them. <laughs> the other thing I, so I thought like the characters, like I said, I, I, I enjoyed all the characters and I thought they were fairly distinct and, and memorable, etc. But the, something that I thought was ineffective early on is, and it's kind of the joke, I guess, but like we, we get into this story through the football team. The first victim is a football player. The first suspect is a football player. The first like guy we hear eulogizing the, the victim is a football player. Oh, and that was also- funny too. The, the football player eulogy was hilarious. Like pouring out a monster for his dead homie. That cracked me up. That was great. Yeah. I wasn't sure. Sh- See again, the politics. What are they trying to say about people like me who drink monster? I don't appreciate this. <laughs> What's the intention? Is that necessary? Is that necessary? Um, but like, it was really hard for me to keep the keep the football players apart and like because they all kind of look the same and act the same. Well, they don't really. Well, in hindsight, you can separate them out, but I don't know. Maybe no one cares. But it was. I, I thought it was hard to come into the story and have to keep track of like three or four football players who are pretty much the same. No, frankly, I agree. Like the football player who gets killed looks the same as the gay football player looks the same as, as Macon, the one who shows up a few times. Are you guys racist against football? Yeah, they they all look the same. (laughs) And you're seeing them in these like Polaroid photos and you're supposed to recognize that the guy in the Polaroid photo with his face busted up is the guy who's on the field. Oh, dude, I had trouble with that in the opening scene. I had the hardest time because, all right, so fundamentally, I'm a little face blind. I have a weird difficulty recognizing faces. Like, I can literally see an actor who I know who it is, who I've seen in a million movies even sometimes, and just be like, who's that? But especially in that opening scene where you have the football player being murdered, you have the killer in a mask that looks like the football player, kind of. (laughs) And then you also have the pictures in which the about-to-be-murdered football player is harassing somebody who's also like a white brunette you know kind of standard looking american male and i i was like wait 
is the guy who's about to be killed, did he get beat up in a haze? I literally, I, it was so hard for me to like track. Yeah, it was, it was rough. Anyways, white boys, they all look the same. Am I right? <laughs> yeah, they do. <laughs> Guys, we, we kind of set a trip. The theme is traps. We kind of set a trap for ourselves in that, like, I feel like we can't talk about one of the one of the most fun scenes in the movie without revealing who the killer was. <laughs> and we've also been talking for close to an hour. Should we perhaps take a break and review it and come back and spoil everything? Yeah, that's probably a good idea. Yeah, let's do that. But hey, before we review it, let us remind you that if you haven't already, you should go to your podcast provider of choice and you should look us up and rate us five stars or whatever the highest rating on your platform is and leave us a review. We really like to read them and it helps other people find the show. You can also find us online on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Amoncast, E-H-M-O-N cast. You can also go to our website. It's a little bit broken, but it, it's a little <laughs> bit sick, but it's going to get better, I promise. Uh, every horror movie on that Netflix.com. We've got a list of some of the movies we've watched and the ratings we've given them. We've got a link to our merch store on there. You can buy a t-shirt. It's just a good time. And also, we have a Discord server. The link to that is in the show notes. We kind of keep the conversation going all the time about what we're watching, and we'd love to have you be a part of that. So check out the show notes for that. But yes, Chris, you did the spiel. You did the spiel. I'm so proud of you. You did it before we gave our reviews, which is great. And I like that you referred to our website as sick because I was laughing to myself thinking, I think our website has long COVID. (laughs) 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 All right. All right, um, Stephen. It was your idea to review it. Let's let's review this thing. <laughs> I mean, as, as 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 much as you and I, Chris, much more so than Patrick, have have kind of picked apart this movie so far for uh, its kind of uh, a misdirected wokeness. I I don't even know what to call it. Like it's it's inoffensive. It was a fun watch. It's you know a lean. It's I don't even think it's a full ninety minutes. The credit the credits are kind of long. Um, you know, I didn't have a bad time with this movie, but I cannot in good conscience recommend it. Um, it's definitely a screw it for me. Um, but I thought the actors were all charming. You know, I thought Darby was, you know, my favorite character in this. Um, I thought they were just so, uh, yeah, just so charming and believable aside from some of the dialogue. Um, there's a great party sequence. We love a teen house party sequence in a horror movie or any movie for that matter. The soundtrack kind of rules. There's two Sharon Van Etten songs in this, which yeah. uh, made my big toe shoot up in my boot. Some Angel Olsen. Uh, and an Angel Olsen song. Yeah. A, a Johnny Jewel remix of an Angel Olsen song. Like that's, that's cool, but it's not good. I think even a teenager would probably uh, balk a little bit at this if they've ever seen, you know, two or three horror movies uh, prior. So yeah, I'm spinning my wheels, but, but definitely screw it uh, for variety's sake. Let's go to Patrick. Variety's sake. Well, because I have a feeling that you like this a lot more than I did based on our conversation. Oh yes, 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 yes. Um, yeah, I will give this a cue it. Um, as I've said already, I found it quite entertaining. The characters were very endearing and the politics, the kind of, Mm, slapdash grab a little bit of every uh you know progressive social issue there is right now and kind of throw it up on the screen didn't really start to grate on me until 
yeah, again, the last 20 minutes or half hour when the entire thing just falls the fuck apart, which was, and that made me sad. I was genuinely sad at that point because I was hoping it was going to kind of pull off something bigger than what it actually did. And, and, and it saddened me again because I was so entertained and kind of drawn in by most of what I'd seen up to that point. So it's enjoyable. It's certainly a failure, but it's an enjoyable failure. Chris. So listen, I work in the schools and I have been uh, in the position in my career of going into high school cafeterias, trying to recruit high schoolers into student events. And when you walk in and you think you're going to be cool and relatable, that's when you're cringe. And I had a hard time coming to terms with that. You got to come in and accept that. No, you are a old ass man. You might as well be a space alien. In the you might as well be Nathan kids. Fielder. <laughs> you might you might as well be Nathan Fielder. That's the that's the vibe. So just don't 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 try to be their friend. Just you know try to try to tell them what you want them to know. Th- that's the folly of this movie. I think it's just it's it feels like it's just too eager to please a demographic which may or may not even exist in the real world. It exists in Netflix algorithm of like, okay, we uh, we need a movie for this particular type of Zoomer who cares about capitalism, and <laughs> we're gonna check that box. So I I really didn't like it. I thought it was really grating, and and so I'm gonna give this a screw it. That's a long way to say I'm gonna give it a screw it because that was just so kind of distracting to me and um the horror elements just didn't bail it out either as you as we described the mystery is unsatisfying the horror parts while well executed are few and far between and uh god bless patrick bryce for the one movie he made that i loved but it makes me not curious to see what he does next if he keeps working like this so screw it I mean, okay, one one more thought before we go down. I, I mean, the basic idea, I feel like, of making a feature film catered to Gen Z is cringe in and of itself. Like, is Gen Z even fucking watching movies? They just watch TikToks. This is like this is my this is like my thought. Oh, last, they watch Wednesday. This was like my thought. Yeah. On, the, <laughs> on the last, yeah, no, they watch fucking TikToks of people doing the Wednesday dance. They don't watch Wednesday. This no, is, they watch. This Wednesday. is like my thought on the the saw. Uh, feud you were trying to start last episode, Chris. Like, I mean, yeah, I, I, I whatever. I'm just on a rant here, and I'm, I'm partially being facetious, but it just seems to me like this generation is is not even watching things of this length in the first place. Well, I, I disagree with you, but I think you're bringing up an interesting point, which is just like, what is what's an example of this kind of stuff done well? And I'm not sure. Fear Street, maybe, but I feel like Fear Street's kind of it's got the veneer of. It's for Gen Z, but it's actually pitching to people who are familiar with 90s and 80s. Right. Yeah, I think that's more for which let's let's not be let's not be you know grumpy old men here. Like it's I'm sure plenty of Gen Zers are watching classic horror movies and remixing them on TikTok. (laughs) Oh my god! (laughs) (laughs) I can speak for myself only, I suppose. But like I was doing that when I was that age, I was very interested in like what was contemporary, but also like, you know, the, the history of horror. And I'm sure there's plenty of Gen Z nerds out there who eat this shit up, but they probably prefer fear street over this trash. Sure. But I mean, of course there's people who are going to be watching that stuff, but I'm curious. I mean, to contrast this movie 
against something else that is kind of playing the same game, but actually doing it better. I'm trying to think of an example. I guess, I mean, I would say maybe like Freaky and Happy Death Day. Sure. You know, they, they kind of have younger casts and more diverse casts. Um, and and they're, they're, they seem more genuine and less cringe and eager to please. Mm-hmm. So... Mm-hmm. I don't know. I you know if you're if you're gonna if you're gonna target this demographic, you gotta be based and not cringe. What can I say? <laughs> oh my god, Jesus! <laughs> All right. Well, I need Our to be Fielder. <laughs> I need to go check and see if there's someone in my house, guys. So, uh, All right. Why, we're gonna why don't go... we pause there and uh, All right. go to set, the spoiler secret party. Set your egg timer for like 15 seconds, and we'll be back <laughs> in the spoiler room, ready to spoil everything about. There's someone in your house. Welcome back. We are down here in the spoiler room, ready to spoil everything about there's someone inside your house. Ready? We're what? Go- we're going to tell all of there's someone inside your house's secrets so that, you know, the, so that <laughs> the killer doesn't get to the movie first. Uh-huh. Yeah. There, I mean, there, there's there's only, other than the res- resolution of the mystery, I think the only thing we're dying to talk about is sort of the mid it's a little bit over the midpoint of the movie but it's uh the big teen party we were talking about which is a a secret party right and when this started because again i was i had subtitles on watching this as i do for most things and um you know like i said earlier there were some little like kind of background chatter jokes that i noticed that kind of amused me earlier in the film and at first as like the characters walk into this party, I thought it was more of that, but just a lot of it. And I'm like, wow, there, there's a lot of just like people saying weird and random shit at this party. And then it turns out that's the premise is everybody is like spilling fucked up things they've done or that have happened to them. Yeah. So there's a, there's a curfew going on at this point too. So it's like a secret party, but also a party where people tell secrets. Mm -mm. And that's mm. cute. Oh, layered. Yeah, I didn't realize that. Yeah, yeah, lots of layers. Well, I, I don't know. I was, <laughs> I had the thought that we should all play the secret game, but I don't want to tell you my secrets. No, no. not We're on not air. doing that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. All right. So yeah. So this is kind of in, entwined with this character we haven't really talked about, who is the son of, I guess, a Nebraska land baron who has a big ass corn farm. Mm-hmm. and he's kind of i don't know i don't watch succession patrick would you compare this guy to the guy in succession which one brian cox oh no <laughs> all right well it was no worth he's a just shot. your stereotypical like <laughs> small town douchebag who runs the whole town yeah 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 um he reminds me of someone in a movie but i forget who i mean i anyway. guess I, I guess i would say his son sort of reminds me of kieran culkin in succession to a certain degree i i, I think that's that's what I thought you were going for at first, but no, no, no. It, it, it shot in the dark. Anyway, the son is like kind of an early suspect in the murders. They're like, well, they're going to sell that dead kid's house now. And who you think is going to buy it? It's going to be the land baron. That family has a lot to gain. The kid did it. And the kid's like, I hate my family. I hate their corn business. You know, I'm a cool kid. I'm I'm not a I'm not a I'm not like a normal corn baron son. I'm a cool corn baron son. Right. He's like the token, like cool straight white guy in the group of 
in our like woke group of protagonists. He's like um, Ryan Gosling meets Leon S. Kennedy. Uh, <laughs> and so he's got... Okay, like, that, was, that was a good one. <laughs> and so eventually he hosts a party, <laughs> and this is the secret party. And then the part of the movie where I thought... Forget about there's something, someone inside my house. I thought there was something wrong inside my brain when I was watching this scene (laughs) (laughs) because he pulls out a gun mid party. And I'm like, okay, I lean forward in my chair. I'm like, now you're speaking my language because I was about to get bored. And now you're pointing a gun at yourself at your own house party. Anything could happen. And he's he's like pretty wasted by this point, too. So that adds a little more kind of tension to the proceedings of like, whoa. He's got a gun. Is he going to shoot somebody? He sticks it in his mouth. He pulls the trigger and then he like exhales a cloud of smoke. Turns out it's just like a fancy ass bong. And Amy. it turns out his his dad has a room full of uh, he has like the tenth largest Nazi. And we, listen, let's leave the, the I think this calls for dropping a clip. <laughs> <laughs> what if I told you Skipper Sanford's collection extended far beyond corn? And included the 10th largest Nazi memorabilia collection in all of North America. A shocking amount of which I have converted into pipes, hookahs, and bombs. (laughs) So, allow me to propose a toast. The 1% burning down the world so they can stay warm. I say, let it burn down them, too. Well, we burned down Highway 420. And I want to point out, you may you may have been able to hear that in the clip. I loved it in the background when he, like, announces the, the collection of Nazi memorabilia that, like, some, like, bro in the background says something like, oh, dude, that's fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> I know. <laughs> that was one of the that was one of those bits of background shatter that amused me. And he's turned like half the shit into uh, things that you can smoke weed out of. Gas masks, guns, to feel like there's like a saber in there or something. I don't know. I don't and know then and then it, then we proceed he starts handing out these trophies and I mean it's the the room it's on screen. You see all the Nazi regalia. I don't know. I mean, there's a locker in Hollywood that just has all sorts of Nazi paraphernalia, and I guess people probably just check it out, or they, or they, <laughs> it's the release it's it. the warehouse from Raiders. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, and then, uh, then we see like it's like the, the, he passes out all these these trophies and guns and things, and then we see like the rave scene from The Matrix Reloaded. <laughs> But everybody's smoking out of machine guns and shit. It's the and I was like, I've died. I ate too much Taco Bell and had an aneurysm while I was watching this movie because I was eating salty Taco Bell at the time. Wow. Yeah, it, it, it's oh god. I mean, the sheer like the audacity of it did appeal to me, but it's I hate the audacity. Where, the audacity, but also it's just so cringy again with this movie trying to have something to say about god only knows what to, i don't know like well i wonder if this was in the book 
And like it's a it's a very racially and ethnically diverse cast of characters. Yeah. But like there's no one like Jewish or anything, no one to be a foil to this, really. It's just like you have uh so some people of color are like, oh that's that's fucked up. But I'm like, why is there so much Nazi stuff on my screen right now? This doesn't usually happen in a movie. Imagine watching this on an airplane. <laughs> I know. I almost did. I almost did. I'm so glad I didn't. I had the iPad and everything. My flight was just too short. Do you? But yeah. I, I mean, are, are swastikas visible in this scene? I don't really remember seeing. Yes. Them. Oh, there. Yeah. Are. There's oh, two okay. flags. Oh, okay. <laughs> and there's like two full uh, officer uniforms on mannequins with the armbands oh. and everything. But like when people are smoking, there's not like I mean like the things in this in the in the rave scene when everybody's getting high. I want to say there's not like visible, like you could watch that and not know that it's Nazi stuff, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. No. no I mean, but it's still the weird whole... that they're smoking out of gas masks and guns and whatever. But there's the whole scene though where he gives the you know the, the grandstanding and it's just I don't know. It's I mean again it's file again under things that don't offend me, but damn, what a interesting <laughs> choice to not really be doing it with any real intention. It is. Yeah. It is a very seriously, it's a very <laughs> In, strange choice. In a movie for teenagers, too. It's so weird. My thought, well, I'm going to nitpick here, and and I have another thing to nitpick about late in the movie that might make you guys laugh your asses off, or maybe I'm just crazy. But if that's the 10th largest collection of Nazi paraphernalia in the world, <laughs> not, not that impressive. I feel like Chris has more movie props. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a little, little uh, anemic. It's like a walk-in closet. Yeah, you know, it's it's not not a lot. Yeah, you know, it's uh, so someone I know actually found a Nazi armband from a relative of theirs that was in World War II, and I was like, "What should I do with this?" And where's the I, arm? <laughs> I thought I was going to like come up with an answer, but like, there's really nothing to do with a lot of Nazi paraphernalia. Like, you don't want to really keep it in your house, right? museums won't take it most of the time unless it's especially interesting um well wait was like, it so presumably it was i mean someone i assume who fought for the u.s like their relative fought for the u.s and brought it back right on, it's a like, it's a war trophy someone it's a they trophy. killed i assume yeah or yeah probably mm. interesting you turn it inside out and it'll look pretty cool over like a black, you know, long sleeve shirt. Or you, something. you put your own like Antifa logo on it and wear it <laughs> as an armband. I don't know, but it's a, it's a I don't know. Side note, not really relevant to the conversation, but I did go down the rabbit hole a few weeks ago on like what's the best thing to do with Nazi memorabilia that came back with your grandparents from the war or something, and and. There's not really anything to do except burn it, but I feel like I don't know. I feel I don't know. You if, hang on I, to. Like, it. I would. Yeah. I would hang on to. It. I mean, I wouldn't like display it, but what an interesting like connection to your family's history. Yeah. So you don't, don't want to sell it online. That's for sure. You're gonna, <laughs> right. Oh, that's list. the other thing too. You yeah. can't sell it because the people who buy it are neo Nazis. Yeah. Who make shrines and yeah. shit. Yeah. So. Anyway. Hmm. Killer shows up at the party, kills a kid <laughs> that we care about. Yeah. Oh yeah, he kills the he kills the the pill hog. I was who, sad. Like about I that. was I was too. He was so cute. I was so invest weirdly invested in like the budding romance when he and the other chick, like, their secret is that they have a crush on each other. I'm like, oh it's adorable. And I was like, okay, so 
this is where like the moral, like the weird moralizing in this movie really bothered me. Cause I'm like, okay, so everybody is killed because of some kind of fatal flaw or secret that they have. And his is that he is a teenager who is addicted to pain medication. It's fentanyl. That, yeah. that is just sad. That kid needs help. You know, he needs someone to pull him out of it. That is not a reason to be murdered. Well, and this is, you know, I mean, that almost to me feels like a segue into talking about the killer, <laughs> the killer's motive or lack thereof. Yeah. Because it's the the son of the the land baron who is, you know, again, appeared to be a friend, a good friend to the our, our main group of characters throughout the film who has appeared to hate his dad and kind of uh, once he's revealed, gives a monologue about, you know, why should I you know, have to, you know, why should I get shit on just because I have privilege? Essentially, uh, you know, everybody has secrets. Uh, the motive is just completely muddled, especially when you, once you apply it to this, you know, body count that he's racked his way through, you know, he's killed a guy who hazed a gay football player. He's killed a girl who has an alt-right podcast. He's killed, you know, a kid who has a pill addiction. Just there, the, this this is where I finally catch up to you guys and saying the politics of this are, you know, a a page full of scribbles. You know, it doesn't yeah. make any fucking sense. Why? Mm-hmm. Why? Glad you finally came around. <laughs> no, but it's almost Not- like why it frustrates me is because I feel like it almost could have been pulled together into something, and it just you know. I don't know. I I love our plane metaphors on this show, and it's just like literally watching like the fucking wings fall off and the engine clunk to the ground and whatever as it attempts to land. And it's so boring for like a good twenty minutes before that point because like you go, it it goes all in on trying to make us think Ollie's the killer when we all know he's not. Right. Um, it would be far too obvious for one. And, and so then it's just like, all right, well, I don't really care who the killer is anymore because oh. there's no one that could they could unveil that would be interesting. And they try to make you think that, like, Makani is going to have it pinned on her for a little bit, too, because the killer, while still masked, shoves a knife into Makani's hand after killing the, the gay football player. Oh, God. It seems and to happen a lot not, in these movies. She like. will not. I wrote down in my notes three times, put the knife down put the fucking right she holds on to her for like five minutes she takes it to the corn festival and she's st- she's gone through this the like car festival. chase they go i mean isn't it a corn festival isn't that what it's, it's a called? corn yeah. maze it, it's a is corn it a, festival it's, it's a corn, corn festival yeah, yeah it's, it's oh called corn in the usa i thought patrick would <laughs> yeah. appreciate that. I, oh my god i've forgotten that that's hilarious <laughs> and like there's finally they get all the way through the corn maze and finally catch up to the killer i forget his name and he reveals himself and then it's it's just still in her hand. It's like, has she just been, has she just had a death grip on this knife through like what probably a half hour worth at least of action and travel and whatever. She's yeah. still holding on to the bloody murder weapon. Yeah. Even as Ollie is charging through a burning cornfield in his car. Yeah. <laughs> she's still gripping that knife. Yeah. I don't know. Like there, yeah. And there's some talk of like, I don't even remember what he said. Actually, he's explaining his motivation. Something about you know the mask is important. Like we're all wearing masks. Yeah, bro. it didn't make any sense. Yeah, it didn't like, make any sense. Like, and like, I, I guess like he he resents having to feel guilty about things that he didn't do because of his privilege, while everyone else is running around with things that they've done in their past that. 
But I think I might have just articulated well, that better than he did. Yeah. Well, and his dad shows up and like, isn't there something about how like he's all, I, this could be like a fever dream that I had. I honestly don't know, but isn't there a thing about how he's trying to thwart his dad's plans to defund the police by making the police like necessary because of the murders? That was the weirdest shit, man. That was the, <laughs> was that was so the worst subplot. <laughs> I mean, it's like Christopher Nolan level. It's like Dark Knight Rises levels of just like stirring the pot on political issues. I was so baffled by, all right, obviously defund the police is a huge topic of conversation right now. So we're going to throw that into the movie, but it's going to be the like conservative capitalist dude who runs Corntown saying he he hates the pigs because the pigs are after him so he's going to start his own police which seem fascist as fuck which is also treated as like a big i mean who which i i want to say they are like depicted as fascist as fuck like they stand behind him you know it's a big beefy dude i think he's like got a fucking like I don't, I don't know. It was it was just coded like, okay, these thugs are, we're not supposed to like them. But then they're completely irrelevant to the plot. Like, it's a, it's a big thing he's talking about. Like, oh, yeah, our private security is here tonight. And, you know, like super evil monologue to the, the news media in Corntown. But that is of absolutely no significance. The, the it, private police never play a single role in the, in the rest of this film. They don't thwart the the murders that occur. That's for sure. No, it doesn't make it doesn't make any sense. We were told that there's uh, like I guess a ballot referendum on whether oh, to yeah. defund the police and replace yeah. them with private security. Which how does that even get on the ballot in a town I, anywhere? In Nebraska, in a town like this, I guess the guy just is rich, right? So he's gonna he's gonna buy the election. But like, why does he want to do this? I can be like, okay, like, I guess it's because maybe he's the biggest landowner and he's paying taxes to the police. Um, he wants to cut the city budget or whatever so he can save tax money. But no, Chris, the problem is you're thinking, but he's, but he's also like funding his own police department instead. So it's not really to save money. It makes no fucking sense. No, no. Makes no sense. Killer turns out to just be a like a lame Marvel villain in the end with his monologue. It was just like the, his his performance is a complete one eighty. It's a completely different movie all of a sudden. Corn is burning everywhere and not it's not even popping though. Not popping. That's that's what. Okay, not all corn I have pops. Three. It's not popcorn. It's regular corn. <laughs> but regular I don't corn give a pops. They, they play so fast and loose with every other aspect of how things actually are in, in life. They could do this. I they wanted to hear that corn a popping the whole yeah. time. I want to see floods of popcorn filling this, the scenery. <laughs> I mean, he, she doesn't. Makani doesn't kill him. He's just wounded on the ground, and then the popcorn accumulates and covers his face and suffocates him. Yes, yes. I have three notes about the popping, the lack of popping corn. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, and and the other thing, we haven't even talked about this, I guess, quote-unquote twist, is Makani's big secret is back in Hawaii, right? She came to Nebraska from Hawaii. She was involved in, like, a hazing ritual for uh, some kind of sports team. I forget what. And uh, there was, like, a big bonfire on the beach, and all the, you know, the bad seniors or whatever were making everybody, like, drink booze and covering them in alcohol, and she accidentally shoved a girl and pushed her into this big bonfire, and this girl was horribly burned, but not killed. And this is her big, like, dark secret that she's running from, which, as Steven said earlier, is arguably yeah. certainly not the worst. 
or dark not that scandalous secret at all. In the movie. It's not that scandalous at all. Like I, I get it that like she hasn't had the opportunity to. She's found a good group of friends at this new school. She hasn't had the courage to tell them about what's happened. She's understandably still carrying some shame, but it's like she is. She got in my mind. She got off scot free. The amount of sure. it, the sheer amount of alcohol they poured into her face during that during that hazing oh, ritual yeah. alone is like you know, especially for like a someone who probably had never drank or drank one or twice before. Yeah. I mean that 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 would have made me push somebody into the fire. Yeah. It was fucked up, and it's like something that shouldn't have happened to her that she was forced into. And I just can't believe that like that's like the linchpin of her arc that she yeah. needed to get that off her chest, and yeah. she still felt guilty. I, I can't believe that that the suspense of that event was sustained for the entire fucking movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, look in in the real world, that would probably fuck you up and cause you some guilt. Sure, sure, uh, but. but it, it's certain it's just not on the same level as some of the stuff we've seen before. It's and it's like, yeah, like you were victimized. Well, That's why you did that. I mean, to make the most obvious comparison, like the other person involved in a hazing ritual in this movie who gets killed, who like intentionally just like beat the shit out of some like gay kid for his football hazing. You know, like McConaughey's was entirely mm-hmm. an accident. The kid we see at the beginning he did this intentionally, presumably, yeah. I guess. Yeah, it is. It it does make it even less sort of uh, dramatic or climactic as a reveal when you compare it against that other that other hazing ritual. I have a weird question: Who was so the guy who beat up the gay kid? Who was he talking to on the phone in the opening sequence? Because they're Teammate. straight up, they're straight up talking about jerking off a lot. No, they're no, they're not. They're talking about hooking up with girls. They are. Yeah. It's it's low the 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 other side you can hear the other side of the conversation it's low in the mix but it's there. Huh. Um, oh wow! Because like knowing nothing going into this movie, I was like, oh, is this character gay? I guess I wasn't hearing what was happening. I just heard him talking about protein and the other guy being a pervert and them ending the conversation kind of cutely <laughs> before he went to bed. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to hear the other side of the conversation, and it's really funny that you would read it that way, and I totally understand why you would read it <laughs> okay, that way. Okay, good. So I'm not... Oh, I, no, I read it that way, too. I thought... Yeah, were no, the other side of the conversation is audible. You just... It might be... I don't know if the subtitles cover it or not, but, I, but you can hear that they're talking about uh, a girl who wants to hook up with him before the game. And he's like, that's good protein. Why would I want to eject that yeah. from my body yeah. or whatever? It's like, oh, gross. So but weird. I thought, I thought, based on like the series of events, I thought it was the kid that he beat up and they're friends now and maybe even lovers. That would have been interesting. Yeah, huh. uh, would have been something. It would have been interesting, I think. Um, might have might have given this movie a cue if that had happened. Just saying. Yeah, no, and no then she ends up. She ends up um, back to, to the sort of epilogue. Makani ends up uh, calling. I think the girl she pushed into the fire, and like oh, yeah. I guess they make out. I mean, make, make out. out. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, they might make out. <laughs> In the sequel, which, I don't know. That was uh, I thought it was in poor taste to put Harry Nilsson's jump into the fire over the credits. Oh my god! Wait, did they? No, <laughs> I was gonna say I did. I, I I'm sure I watched at least thirty seconds of the credits. <laughs> no, and then McCon. So I I don't know McConney and uh, Ollie, the school shooter vibes guy. Um, which God, I I'm shocked that they didn't do anything more hot button with school shooting in this movie. <laughs> they either get married or go to prom. I don't know which. You see, you see them. <laughs> 
pretty, pretty you know, sure at that, age, at that age, it's all the same. <laughs> it's all the Especially same. Especially in Nebraska. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, taking that's, shots at Nebraska. I hope we don't have listeners in Nebraska for this episode. God and, damn. And that's your movie. <laughs> Basically. You know, one, one final note about this killer, um, who he did remind me of most was the uh, the brother from Get Out? You know, again talking about Jordan Peele. He has oh yeah, that same like wiry, like sort of gaunt, but like han- sort of handsome, sort of gaunt, like little bit of psychopath energy, especially psychopath energy once he's revealed as the killer. But he has a little bit of that to begin with. He's got the blonde hair that kind of falls across his face, and that that felt like a direct like visual and and just general aesthetic ripoff of that. Of the, the villain, one of the villains from Get Out. It did, and I think a reason I didn't think about him much outside of the party scene in this, and why I thought, like, wait, did I miss a scene where he got killed? Is because he's too similar to Ollie. Because they're both like really cute, but might be psychopaths. Which my track record in in my dating life would suggest that that is my type. <laughs> Same. <laughs> Hmm. Wow, that's your movie, guys. And there's there's no one inside your house. It's fine. Don't worry. We need a we need a we need a shirt that just says that's your movie. That would be a good shirt. <laughs> All right. Well, uh what are we watching next time? Christopher is picking for us, are you not? Listen, guys. You know, Patrick, you have the wisdom of an owl. Steven, <laughs> what? you have the eye of an eagle. I have the grace of a swan. Yes, with these glasses, the two two year old prescription. I think we need to watch the birds. <laughs> oh, okay. A classic film. Okay, guys, I'm excited because I've never seen the birds. Oh wow, you've never seen the birds. No, um, I mean, I, it's springtime. It's it's the migration season. We're all seeing a lot of weird birds and flocks of birds. So yeah, a lot of weird birds for sure around. A here. lot of weird shit out there. <laughs> so why don't we just you know take it back to fucking 1963, a good year, and <laughs> guys, an, an Alfred Hitchcock classic. You this know, is the oldest movie we've watched by like two decades. I feel like yeah, almost. that tracks. That's kind of why it appeals to me because there's usually never a movie on Netflix made before like 1985. Right. And that was part of what excited me about doing the podcast in the first place when uh, Patrick gave me kind of the secondhand pitch from you, Chris. Is like, oh, I'm going to have, I'm, we're going to have to see a bunch of shit I've never heard of that's like recent. And I'm going to like feel like I know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. So, Chris, have you, great. have you seen the birds before? Oh, yeah. I've seen the birds. Okay. I've seen it. That bitch on blue. I've seen it, but it's been at least 10 years, probably 15 years. And weirdly enough, I remember being a little lukewarm on it, especially compared to like, you know, I love Psycho and Vertigo, but the birds was not, not so much for me. So I'm very, very curious to revisit it. There's there's a few. I'm sure it's no birdemic, but it's gotta be at least entertaining, right? Well, that'll be in two weeks. We'll be watching Alfred Hitchcock's classic masterpiece extravaganza film, The Birds. <laughs> so join us then. And if you want to reach out to us uh, before then, like I said, you can find us on social media or on our Discord server. The link to that is in the show notes. Uh, but until then, until next time, for every horror movie on Netflix, I'm Chris. And I'm Patrick with a final thought that was The Birds a prequel to Bird Box? <laughs> Just food for thought.
I hope so. Exploring. Worth exploring. I'm hoping we. I'm hoping there's a character in it. And I, from what I remember, Borderline, you could call him a proto J. (laughs) Whoa. Okay. Well, that. That's definitely whetting my appetite. And uh, I've been Steven. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna fly away for now, guys. See you next time. So many iconic right. sound drops Goodbye. in these final thirty seconds. Yeah, I feel like the episode just needs to end with like the flock of seagulls. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I thought you meant the, the song I ran. No, no, we'll be using, no, we'll be we using got, so many bird effects next time. We got to put in the bird box sound effect. Though. Oh yeah, I know. I, I was picking up what you were. Picking. You can jump into the fire